Still settling. Yeah. Well, let's get engaged tonight, shall we? How many people have gotten to read the book of Ephesians in the last couple of days? Okay, you've got a head start on what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be diving in deep to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. Uh, you're better off looking up at the screen and writing them down than trying to flip through it. But i got to warn you, tonight is going to be quite sobering. As we talk about the topic of sin. Tonight's lesson is called Walking Dead. I love that TV show. Well, to a certain point, and I couldn't watch it anymore. Uh, but for all those in Atlanta, it was kind of cool to see season one in Atlanta going down. But the truth is, whether you're a true Christian or not, we all have a part of ourselves that is walking dead. Our sinful nature that is in each and, each and every one of us brings death and destruction to our lives. Our sinful nature and its desires does not go away when you get baptized. You are truly forgiven from your sins at baptism, but it doesn't erase the sinful nature within. It, those memories, those consequences of those decisions still haunt us, regardless of what decisions that we've made. And we have these feelings that are contrary to the Holy Spirit and what God wants for us. Paul, to the letter of the Ephesians, is addressing saved disciples, yet he's constantly calling them to repent and to come alive and to leave their life of sin behind them. And I tell you what, if the Ephesians had to hear that, how much more do we need to hear that tonight? He's constantly communicating that leave your life of sin behind and live this new life, come alive in Christ. Tomorrow we're going to say, how exactly do we come alive and live alive? But tonight, like I said, we're going to have a sober Bible study about sin and walking dead. We're going to be looking at what causes us to walk dead. What chaos does it ensue in our lives? And thank God we're going to talk about the cure and how to overcome our sinful natures. The first point tonight, the cause. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 say this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live in when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom and of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Our transgressions in sin cause us to walk dead. Our sinful nature is ever present. This ongoing urge to gratify our desires and wants that are inside of us that are contrary to what the Holy Spirit desires for us. It's like a leash around our neck, always trying to lead us to what our sinful nature wants. And thank God that there's a contrary pull, which is the Holy Spirit. The fact is, sinful nature, it shipwrecks our lives and destroys us. I think about how my sinful nature wrecked my life prior to becoming a true Christian. Man, I grew up sincerely religious, going to church each week and, and 
By the time I got to high school, I was a leader in my youth group. And I, I sincerely cared about Jesus and about Christianity. Yet, I found myself a huge hypocrite. I'd be serving at a soup kitchen once a week and working with foster kids once a month. And uh, a varsity baseball player and, and going into college on, to go play rugby. I had all this stuff going on. I was even leading a purity class to high school students at, in my high school ministry. On the outside, I looked like I had it all together. But on the inside, I knew the dead man that was alive and how it was wrecking my life. Impurity enslaved me. My sin was, as long as I don't sleep with a woman, I'm a saint. And I found myself being used and manipulated by women that I trusted. And I found myself using and manipulating women that trusted me to gratify my sinful desires with lust. I would use women to, to make me feel more valid and better about myself. And I was so skewed on what it meant to respect a woman or to treat them with love. Guys in my, fathers in my church wanted me to take out their daughters, but they had no idea what I would do with them or where the places we find ourselves. But on the outside, I looked like a trustworthy person. Yet, I couldn't restrain my lust. And I polluted my mind and my heart with all types of experiences and images that I cannot erase. Deceit was huge in my life. It didn't matter what the subject was. I always wanted to exaggerate it, make excuses, tell lies, twist things, white lies, black lies, whatever you want to call it. I, I lied so much that to this day, I'm 31 years old, I still don't know what facts are true or made up in my head about stories that I exaggerated and told to people. I lied so much that I, I couldn't even really recognize in my own mind and heart what was true anymore. Because I just lied so much to fit in, to get what I wanted, to, to advance my cause. My pride always haunted me. It held me back. I was never the smartest person or the most athletic person, but I could be stubborn as a rock. And that stubbornness grew into me to a pride that caused me to miss out on extremely uh, amazing opportunities that I just lost because of my pride and my stubbornness and my pride shipwrecked friendships that tried to help me and people who tried to intervene in my life. But I was just like a train bearing down the tracks that could not be turned. My insecurities, man, haunted me every day. I cared way too much what people thought of me, what, how I looked, how I came across to people. This, this led to a skewed view of my own physical image. I would overwork out and still look in the mirror and see somebody that wasn't true. And this cycle would be followed by overeating and then overworking out and just really affecting my health and my body. My family wasn't wealthy growing up, but I so desperately wanted to fit in with kids at school that I would spend money I didn't have or, or, or do any type of side job just so I can get the clothes or the style that would make me more acceptable to fit in. Unforgiveness and bitterness was the depths of my heart that I never wanted to talk about. I grew up, uh, my mom was very abusive physically and emotionally and verbally. And over time, bitterness led to hatred. And uh, who wants to say they hated their mom? Right? That's not something you talk about. But I felt it so deeply in my heart that I don't know how I could possibly forgive her or overcome the hurt that was caused in my life. And I kept this power 
of hatred and unforgiveness over my mom for years since I studied the Bible. But, you know, bitterness never ends with one person. It overflows into every area of your life. Before I knew, I was bitter and critical and unforgiving towards coaches, friends, teammates. It polluted my life. Laziness. I wasted my time, wasted my talent, wasted my grades. And I did whatever I pleased. I reaped a lot of consequences from that. The scariest thing was this whole time, I was extremely self-righteous. Like I said, I was a leader in my youth group growing up. People trusted me. People gave me leadership positions. But on the inside, I knew who I was. I hated what I'd become. And I so desperately wanted out. And I thank God that I met disciples my freshman year of college and started studying the Bible. And the best day of my life was March 20, 2006, when I was baptized into Christ and my sins were forgiven. My past is forgiven, yet these memories and the character built in my heart from these decisions haunt me to this day. You know what I'm talking about, right? My sinful nature is in my DNA. It runs through my veins. I am one bad thought away from returning. One moment of idleness from returning. One bad move from this walking dead man coming out. My first reactions, my first thoughts, my first desires often have hints of my sinful nature. And it's that conflict with the Holy Spirit within me. Our sinful nature is like a pet lion that lives inside our hearts. And you're either starving it or you're feeding it. And either way, it is still ferocious, wild, and uncontrollable. And our best hope, our best chance is to starve this lion within, this ferocious animal within. And to keep it locked up and to keep it chained up and not let it off its leash. Because you let it off that chain, it will devour and destroy your life. Don't you feel your sinful nature burning within you? Don't you feel it breathing down your neck day in and day out? It doesn't take much more than a thought or an action to abort a train of your sinful nature. And before you know it, you're going down tracks that you don't want to be down. And a destination you don't want to land at. That's our sinful nature. And Paul knows this full well. And he's pleading with the church in Ephesus to be aware of their sinful nature. And to know what's causing this pain in their lives. See, in this very passage we looked at in verses 1 through 3, worldliness is a huge cause of our sinful nature and impact of our sinful nature. In this last part, sir, it says, uh, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. The world is fallen and broken. And it's defining and molding and shaping each and every one of us, whether you realize it or not. The music we watch, listen to, the movies we watch, the Netflix we binge on. The social media you scroll through, the news articles that pop up, that you read, that entice you, the, the, the style, what's in, what's out. That's the world molding and shaping our worldview and what we approve or disapprove of what's right and what's wrong. And it's constantly molding and pressuring us into a mold that the rest of the world 
follows. I got news for you. Following Jesus is the most countercultural path you could ever walk on. If you're going to live like a true Christian, you're going to stand out. People are going to look at you weird. People are going to talk about you behind your back because it is not like the world. The narrow road is narrow for a reason. And very few are on it. And if someone's on it, it looks contrary to the world around them. If Jesus wouldn't listen to the music you listen to, why do you listen to it? If he wouldn't watch the show you watch, why do you watch it? Would he approve of your modesty as his daughter? Would he approve of the way you spend your money and waste your time? Would he laugh at the jokes you laugh at? Would he sit envious for hours as you scroll through social media like you do? Would he hold your hand while you look at porn on your phone? Would he be fired up about how you treat the opposite sex and how you go about interests? You're going to ask yourself, man, would Jesus approve of my lifestyle? Does it show that I'm following Jesus or I'm on the broad road following the world and its standards? You can't have both true Christianity and the world. You have to pick one or the other. Are you blending in? Are you standing out? Are you an example of what a true Christian is? Or are you an excuse to Christianity? It's disturbing me how much the world has infiltrated our campus ministries and defining what is right and wrong instead of the Bible. And that is wrong. And we have to fight against this. Impurity is a huge cause of our sinful nature. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 through 7 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. What's God's standard for purity? Not even a hint. Is there more than a hint in the shows you watch? Stuff you scroll on social media? What you daydream about? What you watch on the internet, if, if there's more than a hint, which it doesn't take much as a young person to be sexually aroused. That's how you know. To find something attractive, that's natural. To lust or dwell or to go further down that road, that's reserved for your husband or wife someday. If you have anything more than a hint of impurity in your life, he says that's improper and out of place for God's holy people. That's greed. That's idolatry. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Porn, masturbation, doing stuff with your boyfriend or girlfriend. This type of stuff that's sexual. It says God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Let no one deceive you with empty words. The subject of purity is heaven and hell serious. Jesus was so serious. He's like, man, if you can't quit touching yourself or looking lustfully, it's better to go blind or to lose that hand because cost you your soul. This is something we cannot water down. It's not something we can just excuse away. This is a very serious sin that we have watered down and said, bro, it's okay. 
Sis, I'm just so glad you're being open. This is something we have to purge of our lives and be radical about and go after. Wasting time is a huge cause of sin. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The truth is, we all have 24 hours in the day, don't we? It's a matter of how you spend them. You could be either wise or unwise with your time. But God calls us to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are filled with distractions, detours, delays, and deadly pitfalls for your time. Think about the stuff we waste our time on. I mean, YouTube's so evil. By the time it, 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 it's, it's not even done playing, the next video's starting. YouTube, uh, Netflix, Amazon. Man, before you know it, you've watched several episodes. You haven't done your homework. Or you're late to your work. You waste time on social media. Scrolling through music articles. Time wasters that just destroy our lives. Video games make you feel like a hero, yet you've done absolutely nothing in the real world. We've wasted hours. Days of our lives doing things that are meaningless and are destroying our Christ-likeness in us. Would God spend His time the way you do? Studying hard and getting good grades glorifies God. And it's something that should be on the forefront of our minds to do great in school. You know, there's brothers and sisters your age in Central America and Africa and Asia that I've met who would give their left arm to be at a university who would dream of the day, that would be so privileged by the opportunity to have homework every single day, to go to class, to get a higher education. You know, only 7% of the world has a bachelor's degree. You're some of the most luckiest, wealthiest people who've ever lived on the face of the earth, and you can't even show up to class on time? You watch Netflix and don't do your homework? You know what people would give on this earth to have your seat in class? And yet we waste our time. Wake up. The days are evil. Be responsible with your time. Many of you guys aren't sharing your faith or in Bible studies because you say you don't have time. The truth is you waste your time doing other things. And you're not responsible with your time. If you don't have deep, meaningful friendships with brothers and sisters, it's not because you don't have enough time. It's because you spend your time on other things. Guys, we have time. Don't waste it. The days are evil. They're constantly trying to steal your time. And there's nothing more precious on this earth than time because you don't know when your time is up. So live like it's your last day for God's sake. Anger is a huge cause of our sinful nature. Ephesians 4 verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The things that make us angry and upset are bound to happen. But how you handle it makes a difference. Do you have a biblical conviction that when you are angry, you don't let the sun go down in your anger? That you pull a brother or sister aside and you confess it? That you get resolved with the person who hurts your feelings? You forgive the person who hurts your feelings? Or do you let things fester and grow in your anger and give Satan a foothold?
We've got to be willing to show grace. Unwholesome talk, Ephesians 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. Talking about people's interests is not helpful or beneficial. Talking about people who are struggling amongst the ministry breaks people's hearts and trust. So in struggling, you should be fighting for their faith, not talking about them behind their backs. Are you talking about people or are you talking to people? Are you expressing your dislike or offense for the ministry's decision or your leaders? Are you being supportive and, and, and the best right hand you can be in your ministry? If it's not helpful or building up or benefiting those who are listening, do not say it. Yeah. There's too much gossip and slander that goes on in our ministry. And we get this blanket of spirituality on and think it's okay. Yeah. If you're concerned about someone, go talk to them. Yeah. Pray with them. Have a quiet time with them. Love them. Serve them. If you're hurting, talk to someone who will disciple you and not side with your offended feelings. Okay? If you've been sinned against, you know what Jesus says? Go and talk to them. Not talk to three people about how hurt you are. He says, go talk to them. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But Jesus says, forgive them as you have been forgiven. There's not one thing someone hasn't done to you that Jesus hasn't already forgiven you for. Extend grace. Don't be stingy. Those who've been forgiven should be the quickest to be able to forgive others. Bitterness. I told you to buckle up. Ephesians 4 verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, among with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other as Christ Jesus forgave you. It says get rid of all bitterness. You know there's not one bitter root in your heart that's okay to harvest and to keep. It doesn't matter what was said to you. It doesn't matter what was done to you. You have no right to hold it against someone as a Christian. What if God did that to you? We would all be lost and hopeless. He says extend that same grace and forgive as we've been forgiven. Half-hearted effort plagues this generation. The next slide here. Ephesians 6, verse 6 through through 7 says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes is on you, but as slaves as Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you are serving the Lord not people. God wants us to serve wholeheartedly in everything we do as if we're serving Jesus. Do you do your homework as if you're turning it in to Jesus? Do you pay attention to your professor as if it was Jesus instructing the class? Do you obey your boss at work and do everything that's asked of you as if Jesus was your boss? Do you support your minister 
as if he was Jesus himself. You're going to ask yourself, as Christians, we're called to be wholehearted in all that we do as if we were serving the Lord. Some of you guys, when there's not disciples around or eyes on you, you're lazy, undisciplined. You should never get fired as a Christian. You should be the best employees. You should be this type of student that everybody wants you in their project because you do your part. As if you're serving the Lord. This generation is so afraid of being wholehearted. So afraid of failure. So afraid of never measuring up that we don't even know what it's like to engage our whole heart and our effort into something. We've mastered the art of going through the motions. We have perfected half-hearted devotion. Not so with those who call Jesus Lord. Pride and disunity causes chaos in our life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God wants us to be completely humble with each other. Not humble to the people you like and defensive to those you don't like. Completely humble with one another. Completely means there's no room for pride, attitudes, defensiveness, individualism. In the church, we are all one. And we never speak of I, we speak of we. Because we're connected together. He also wants to make sure that we're not disunified in our ministries. There's no room for racial divisions in God's church. There's no room for social divisions. Kingdom kids, people who work in the world, there's no divisions like that in God's church. Divisions about following or supporting leadership. It can't be divisions in this way in our ministries. If you hear something that's not unifying, you've got to address it. You've got to talk about it. You've got to hit it head on with scriptures. We cannot tolerate disunity in our campus ministries. You want to hold back your ministry? Tolerate this unity. We're supposed to be one, just as Jesus and God are one. There's no room for this in God's church. The last cause we're going to look at here, blame shifting. Chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against John or Susie, but it's against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is so hard for us to take responsibility for our sin and shortcomings. And our temptations. And we make excuses and we blame others for our shortcomings and what's wrong with us. And our poor decisions that we've made. But the truth is, the struggle isn't really what someone did to you or what they said. It's how you responded. See, we all have the right to respond in a godly way or an ungodly way. And you have the choose, choice to choose how you're going to follow and how you're going to respond. Yeah. See, loves to make you get caught up in what they said, their, their body language, how they presented it. And you, get, you fall into sin and you blame others for it. No one makes you sin. That's your own choice. People make it harder to be righteous, yes. And no one makes you sin. Earlier this year, I was hurt by a dear friend. 
And it took everything in me not to blame what I felt and what I was processing, what I was going through on the hurt that I felt from them. Man, I, I, the battle is not between people. It's between the spiritual forces of evil. Yeah. As you can see in the church of Ephesus, they had some junk going on. And by your reactions in this room, I think we got some junk going on too. We got some things infecting our ministries and causing us to walk dead and causing our sinful natures to come out. All this sin causes our sinful nature to go rampant in our lives and causes us to walk dead instead of being alive in Christ. This sin doesn't just hurt God. It doesn't just hurt you. It hurts all around you. See, sin causes chaos in your life. Yeah. Second part, we're going to talk about what chaos does this sin and our sinful natures cause in our life. This is convicting, right? Yeah. I'm going to let you just take two seconds to think about that. Jordan shouldn't have asked me to preach so much because I, I don't know how to hold back. <laughs> Chaos. You know, sin makes you seasick. Sin makes you seasick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Then there will be no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. If our sinful natures go unchecked, they take us on a rocky boat ride. And our insecurities and our sin and our fears and our confusion and our hard hearts throw us back and forth like a small boat being blown about by the waves. We're not here and there. We can't think straight. We can't act straight. We're just holding on for survival. Have you ever been really seasick? It is horrible. This last October, I went on my first deep sea fishing trip and I puked for six hours straight. I was wider than a white piece of paper. I looked like I'd seen a ghost and I couldn't stand. I couldn't look up. I was paralyzed by how sick I was. This is what sin causes us in our life. It causes this type of chaos. Our doctrine and convictions get all messed up. Our trust in godly people all of a sudden dissipates and we become de defensive and difficult. Our trust and faith in God becomes dim. And our hope of changing becomes almost hopeless. The chaos also causes the devil to, give, to get a foothold in our hearts. This passage is so scary. And your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're so angry and do not give the devil a foothold. If the devil, all he needs is a foothold to cause chaos in your life. And inch by inch, he will create a stronghold in your heart. It starts off with something small, but sin never stays small. It grows and it gets worse. And it causes chaos in our life. It will harden your heart, take over your heart, and ensue chaos in your life. You give Satan an inch, he takes a mile. There's sin in your life that's going undealt with. Your heart will soon be captured. Chaos is also 
causes God to act. He says, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You cannot run from God. You cannot hide. If you have sinned, there's consequences and effects, cause and effect. A man reaps what he sows. God will not be mocked, especially in his church. I've been a minister for almost 12 years. You can't hide. You can't bury sin deep enough. It always comes bubbling up and it is destructive and it causes chaos. And God says, man, because I love you, my wrath will come on those who are disobedient. My wrath, man, if you don't respond to my kindness and let me repent, my wrath may be the very thing that turns you back to me. And it's so serious. It says if someone doesn't repent, they continue on a sin that you're supposed to lose partnership with them. Disfellowship them from amongst the church. Jesus says when someone's caught in sin, you're supposed to talk to them privately. If they don't repent, you bring other people in. They talk to them and challenge them, show them scriptures. If they still don't repent, you bring it before the church. If they don't repent after it being brought before the church, they're to be kicked out of the church. God does not tolerate unrepented sin. It's improper for God's holy people. His kindness is supposed to lead us to repentance. But there comes a point where either you're in or you're out. Either you check, yes, I love you, or no, I no longer love you. It's a very serious matter. And I pray that none of us have to experience God's wrath or church discipline. It says that it's shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret. The next slide here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Sin is nasty nasty stuff and it causes utter chaos in our life of shame of pain and of blame it's shameful to mention what some of us do when nobody's around it's shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret oftentimes people think they can hide in the darkness and live a lie and in sin but they become hypocritical liars that get found out. Let's not be people who do things that shouldn't be talked about when nobody's around. Let's be men and women who live in the light and in transparency and honesty. Amen to that? Amen. Chaos ensues in our heart. It says that we lose all sensitivity when sin floods in. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you may no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the fertility of their thinking. That they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Because they have ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. So as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. If you let sin go on in your life. Darkness comes in. Your understanding gets darkened. You water down convictions and what's right and wrong. 
You lose sensitivity to what pleases God and what displeases God. You forget how to even blush when sin is present. You can lose your convictions. You can lose a soft heart. You let enough sin in, you become desensitized to what is and what isn't. It's like slip, sipping on poison. It doesn't kill you at first, but you start sipping on it and it burns. You start to be desensitized to how much it actually hurts and what it's doing to you. You drink enough of that slowly, but surely it kills you. That's what sin does to a person. The last chaos we're going to talk about is it, it infects others. You know, the scene I hate most in Walking Dead is when one of their buddies get bit and turns. And it starts coming after all their buddies and they love them so much. I can't betray you, Mr. I can't. And they get bit and then they all start biting each other. And the whole clan is gone. Because one person got infected. And other people didn't have the courage to do what was right. Sin never just affects you. It affects the people you care about. Jesus said Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll steal and kill the things you cherish most, and he'll destroy the relationships in your life and the people you love the most. Sin ensues chaos in your life that affects the people you care about most. Sin and the chaos it brings, it's no joke. And we're all full aware of what our sinful nature did to us before we're Christians. But how much are you letting that lion out of its cage and running around in your life right now? God knows we're broken. He knows we need grace. He knows we need to be rescued. And I thank God there is a cure. I thank God that he loves us enough to give us a remedy, a solution out of our sinful nature. A way to walk that we can truly come alive. Tomorrow we're going to talk more about this, but I want to give us a snippet because we can't end on such a discouraging note of chaos. We got to end with hope. We got to end with the cure. You know the first step to treatment is of your sinful nature. You must walk in the light. You must walk in the light. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you're light of the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that's illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The best way to keep your sinful nature at bay is to shine as much light as you can into every crevice, nook, and cranny of your heart and of your soul. You want your sinful nature to stay at bay and locked up? You've got to bring as much light in. Sin does not like light. It flees from light. Matter of fact, for those of you guys who are probably stuck in some sin, you don't like what I'm saying. You want me to shut up right now. It does not like light. It does not like being shiny. 
on the crevices that have been held in darkness. You gotta be open and vulnerable about your feelings. I don't know what it is about our generation, but we feel a lot, and we think they're valid. Have you noticed that most of your feelings change? And aren't the most valid, truth-orienting things in your life? If you have feelings that are bringing out your sinful nature, you have to confess, get open, get help. Our feelings take us to places we don't want to be. And it unlocks the cage of our sinful nature. If they're unchecked, they will bring, be chaotic in our lives. And they don't bring the best out of us. We've got to be open about temptations. It doesn't take much to feel tempted, does it? It takes one person walking by, all of a sudden you're like, oh, Lord, help me. It takes waking up on the wrong side of the bed, someone cutting you off in traffic. It, doesn't, it takes one person looking at you weird in fellowship to get offended. We do not have much fortitude when it comes to temptation. Guys, we're far too weak with what we can handle and what we cannot handle. I find that if I get open at the temptation level, it keeps me from acting upon my sinful nature. Some of you guys act all surprised why you keep falling into sin. It's because you're feeling tempted and you're not trying to get out. When I feel tempted, I immediately pray. I still feel tempted. I read a scripture or quote a scripture. That doesn't do anything. I'm like, I'm texting, I'm calling. That doesn't do anything. I don't care where I am. I'm fleeing. I'm getting the heck out of this. Because it's not worth falling. And when you do mess up, and no one is perfect, you got to be quick to be open. If you mess up in sin, get open. No one here is Jesus, but man, find a friend. Get open, because if you don't get open, it will grow and get worse. It'll come back. There'll be this cloud over your head. Darkness will grow inside your heart. we got to get open right away and shed light into our hearts. Amen? Amen. All right, the second key. You gotta put off your old self. You gotta put off your old self. Ephesians 4, verse 20 says, However, it's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with the truth as in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, created like God in true righteousness and holiness. Guys, we gotta repent. We gotta hit our old life and our old selves at bay. We gotta, we gotta be willing to really repent, become new people. If you have an attitude or something that's been plugging in your life, man, you gotta study it out. You gotta get so many scriptures to combat it. You gotta really fight to repent and to grow in it. No, not a day goes by I don't pray for patience. Not a day goes by I don't beg God for humility and purity. I just know that, man, no matter how far I go, grow in this. I need ongoing repentance and growth in my heart and in my mind. If not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be taken to a place I don't want to be. We've got to be willing to put off our old selves and really pursue wholehearted repentance so we can be made new. That God's Spirit can work and change us from the inside out. What's the number one thing you wish you could be made new in? What's the one thing from your past that plagues you the most? that you wish could just be cut off and put out of your life. I want you to write that down and share that with someone tonight. Because <laughs> I promise you, whatever you wish was gone most, somebody else has figured it out. 
And they can help you and encourage you. And whatever you grow in, some assets like, man, I can help you with that. I can encourage you with that. Man, I can help you fight with that. The last key, very briefly, Jesus' blood is the cure. And thank God for Jesus' blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, through the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Jesus' blood pays the price we could never pay. This word redemption is the word when a slave was bought from its owner and set free. Jesus' blood pays the price for our soul to set us free. And free indeed, it makes us. His blood and the riches of God's grace cleanse us, make us new, and cause us to come alive. Tomorrow, we're going to say, how did we come alive and live this life? But tonight, I plead with you. If there's something in your life that's unconfessed, if there's a sin that you haven't been honest about with, with a brother or sister, get open tonight. Do not let your head hit the pillow unless you've confessed all the junk from inside your trunk. <laughs> it is not worth going back down the mountain with unconfessed sin because whatever changes you want to make won't happen unless you shine light into your heart. Amen to that? Amen. Thank you.